Hey, I'm Michael, online pastor at Silverdale Baptist Church, and I'm excited to welcome you to our podcast. Now, after you listen to this episode, I hope you'll stick around for just a moment. I'll be sharing about some resources we have for you, as well as a few things going on at Silverdale right now that we would love for you to be a part of. Now, I really hope this podcast is just what you need today to help you in your relationship with Jesus. Well, good morning. Welcome to Silverdale Baptist Church. It's so awesome to see all of you here worshiping with us today. I'd like to welcome all of you here to Bonnie Oaks campus. Also like to welcome those of you at our Creekside service or North Udawa campus or St. Elmo and all of you that may be worshiping online. If I haven't had a chance to meet you personally, I'm Tony Walliser, one of the pastors here, and I have the privilege today to share with you God's word. So this is what I encourage you to do. Go and take your Bibles and open up to the New Testament to the Gospel of John. John chapter 1, John chapter 1, and um, you've got a smartphone, you can open that app to John 1 as well. Also do this, you can take out these Bible study outlines that we provide for you, that way you can follow along and take notes as we study God's Word together. We started a Christmas series called A Christmas Miracle, and what we're doing each week, we're looking at all the different miracles that had to go into the Christmas story, and It's all going to culminate on the Christmas Eve service. And so you're not going to want to miss the Christmas Eve service because that night we're going to see how you can experience your Christmas miracle. But so far what we've learned is the very first week was the virgin birth. How does a virgin give birth? The Bible says the Holy Spirit overshadowed Mary, so what was conceived in her womb was the Son of God. And then last week we saw the miracle of Jesus fulfilling all the Old Testament prophecies. And we learn that God, because he's over time, is able to bend time in history to fulfill his purposes in life. But today's miracle is probably the hardest for us to comprehend. And it is the miracle of how does God become human? How in the world does God Almighty become human? That is what we find in Luke's Gospel, chapter 1. Now, each one of the Gospels gives the Christmas story from a different perspective. Luke's Gospel is from Mary's perspective. You have the angel appearing to Mary. You know, they go to, you know, Bethlehem, and there's no room for them, you know, in the inn, and and the, the shepherds come, and the Bible says that she treasures all these things up in her heart. Matthew's Gospel is from Joseph's perspective. The angel appears to Joseph and says, Mary, Joseph. I mean, Mary, Mary. And, um, and, um, and then later on, they go to Bethlehem, and the wise men come, and then an angel appears to him again saying, get out of, you know, Bethlehem, go to Egypt, because Herod wants to kill the child. And normally, whenever you think of the Christmas story, that's what you see in the Nativity, you have all these different characters. You've got Mary and Joseph and, and angels and wise men and shepherds. But the Gospel of John is completely different. 
God completely removes all those characters from the Christmas story because John's gospel tells the Christmas story from God's perspective. What was it like for God? You see, the reality is is this, is that we're going to learn that before Jesus was born, he was alive. You go, what? Yes. That's what we discover in the gospel of John chapter 1. Look at what God's word says. John chapter 1 verse 1 says this. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Then it continues. All things were created through Him, and apart from Him, not one thing was created that has been created. In Him was life, and that life was the light of men. Now you go down to verse 14. Here's the miracle. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We observed his glory, the glory as the one and only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. You see, based on the Word of God, God traveled all the way from heaven down to earth. The Word took on human flesh. Why? Because love travels. You know, during the holidays, whenever you think about the holidays, there's a lot of people that travel, right? I mean, it's estimated that 100 million people will travel from Thanksgiving to New Year's Day. Why? Because love travels. I mean, my kids that are out of town, they're coming in town to spend the holidays with us. Why? Because love travels. And and normally, whenever you travel, it's sometimes pretty hectic. It's pretty difficult. Many times, family traveling during the holidays reminds me of that scene from that movie, Home Alone. See if your travels look anything like this. Check it out. Yeah, we made it. And sometimes that's the way you feel, right, when you travel during the holidays. I mean, it's a tradition that Susan and I have that every Christmas we either go to Texas or Florida to be with our folks. We're going to Texas this year. And, and that's just the, what we always do. Why? Why do we do that? Love travels, right? And, and sometimes those trips can be long and hard and arduous, right? It's difficult to make those trips sometimes. I heard about a story about this um, this family that was traveling long distances to spend time with their family, and they had little ones in the back seat. And this one four-year-old boy in the back seat said, Mom and Dad, I think I have bottom titus. <laughs> have you ever had bottom titus? You're just sick and tired of traveling. That's the way it is sometimes. Well, for you to really gain appreciation for the incarnation, you got to understand how far love traveled for you that God left heaven for you. Now, whenever we just read John chapter 1, you probably noticed something. The name Jesus isn't anywhere in there. Jesus is described as the Word, or he's described as the Son of God. You go, why is that? Because Jesus doesn't have the name Jesus until he becomes human. Before Christmas, Jesus didn't have the name Jesus. He was always known as the Word or the Son of God. Only whenever Jesus became human did he have the name Jesus. In fact, what happens is that in John chapter 1, we have this description of Jesus as the logos, the word. The Greek word for word is the word logos. And it has some deep meaning. 
I mean, basically, philosophers for years were, you know, Greek philosophers were talking about this logos, whether it be um, Heraclides or Plato or Aristotle. They all wrote about the logos. You go, what is that? Well, you see, they knew something. They said, look at creation. It's, it's design. And if there's design, there has to be a designer. There has to be some mind. There has to be some reason, some logic behind all this thing called creation. And they believed They didn't believe in a personal God. They believed that there's some mind behind it all, the logos. That's what they called it. And so whenever the first readers of the Gospel of John read this, they knew exactly what was going on here. In fact, here's a definition of the word logos. The logos is the reason or the mind behind creation. The logos holds all the cosmos together. And so what you have is that John starts off his gospel by saying Jesus is the Logos. Now, we even see that kind of terminology today. You see, today people will say things like this. Well, I feel like the universe is against me. What are they saying? They're saying that there's some kind of force out there that's against them. Or New Age religious people will say, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to cast my, my desires and my dreams out to the universe and hope that it will, you know, answer my request. That's sort of their way of prayer, as though there's some force out there, there's some, some cosmic mind that's out there. That's the way that they had. We see that especially in movies, right? The, the Star Wars movies. Remember the very first one? You had Obi-Wan Kenobi. He says to Luke, the force is an energy field created by all living things. It surrounds us. It penetrates us. It, look at it, binds the universe together. That is directly from Greek philosophy. Now, you may go, Pastor Tony, why are you going all this stuff about the logos? Because in the first century, whenever they first read this book, the Gospel of John, they would have immediately understood. The Jews reading this book would have said, you know, who is our creator, who is the one who has revealed truth to us? And John is saying it's none other than Jesus Christ himself. And all to the Romans and, and to the, uh, the Greek philosophers, all these people wanting to know who is this Logos? What is the reason, the mind behind, you know, this universe? I mean, what's the purpose in life? And he is saying if you want to know who it is, it's none other than Jesus Christ himself. Jesus is the Logos. He is the word. Let me put it this way. He's what you've been looking for. Everything in life that you've been searching for, hoping for, longing for, it's found in Jesus Christ. And so what we have is John starts off the gospel by talking about Jesus as the Logos. Well, who is he? Well, jot this down. Number one, first of all, the word, the Logos, is God. The word is God. Look at how it starts. John 1.1. 1, 1. In the beginning was the word... And the Word was with God, and just in case you missed it, the Word was God. You, you want to know who Jesus Christ is? He is none other than God. Now we go, that's hard to understand, Pastor. I mean, how is it that God can be in heaven, and at the same time, God can come to earth in His Son, Jesus Christ? I don't comprehend that. Well, you need to understand, God is not physical like us. God is a spiritual being. And the way that the Bible reveals God, the Godhead, is triune. One God, three distinct persons. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And so God the, the Father can be in heaven. God the, the Son can come to earth and dwell among us. Now you may go, Pastor, I don't know if I can comprehend that. I know. We can't. 
I mean, think about it. If you could really rationally understand God, he really wouldn't be God. He would be a God made in your own image. And so what John is doing from the very beginning, he's making sure that we don't think that Jesus is just some religious teacher. He wants us to know and understand this isn't just some spiritual guru that's out there. Jesus isn't some prophet of many prophets. No, Jesus is not some God with a lower G. No, Jesus is none other than God himself. And just in case we miss it, he continues. Look what else he says. He was in the beginning with God. You go, the beginning, what what does that mean? The beginning of what? The beginning of everything. Before creation, before time, Jesus existed with the Father for eternity past. One of my favorite Christmas stories actually happened in church history. It was 325 AD. It was the very first Christian council. It's called the Council of Nicaea. It's whenever all the um, bishops or pastors in the Roman Empire at the time gathered together and they were going to talk about the nature of God and the Trinity and the person and work of Jesus Christ. And so each of them are sharing their positions. And there happened to be this one guy, his name was Arius. He was a pastor. And he's sharing that Jesus isn't really God. He's not eternal. And so as he's talking, I mean, the other pastors, they're fuming because they know what the word of God says. And eventually, one pastor can't handle it anymore. He walks across the room and he slaps Arius in the face. Do you know who that pastor was? You know him as this guy, St. Nicholas, the patron saint of children. Yeah, that's a great Christmas story. Santa Claus slapping heretics across the face. Merry Christmas to you, right? The fact is... Why? Because he didn't want people to know. He wanted people to understand Jesus is fully God. That's what the Bible teaches us. Well, okay, if Jesus is fully God, then that means he's the creator. Absolutely. In fact, jot that down. The logos, the word, is your creator. I mean, think about it. In the beginning, the Bible says God spoke and there was creation. Do you know what he spoke? It was Jesus Christ, his word. Notice again how this is written, verse 3. All things, see that word all things? It means all things. All things came into being through him. And apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. Jesus created all things. He he created the stars and the universe. He created earth. He created the mountains and the rivers and the streams and trees and the the birds and, and everything on this planet. And he created you. Jesus is the creator of all things. The Apostle Paul said a very similar thing in Colossians 1. Look at it. He says, for in him, talking about Christ, all things were created. Things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him, through Christ and for him. I mean, think about it. He's saying that, okay, all things are created for and through Jesus Christ. The heavenly things, the earthly things, the invisible things, the the visible things, all things have been created by Jesus Christ. That's why whenever Jesus walked this planet, he could curse the fig tree and it would wither. Why? He created that fig tree. That's why Jesus could rebuke the wind and the waves and they would cease. Why? He created the wind and the waves. That's why Jesus could walk on water and defy gravity. Why? He created the laws of gravity. That's why Jesus could go to the tomb of Lazarus and who was dead for four days and say, Lazarus, come forth, and the dead person would come back to life. Why? Because Jesus is the giver of life. He's the creator of it all. And so here is John, at the beginning of his gospel. Here's the Christmas story from God's perspective. The Logos, Jesus, he's God. He's your creator. 
But this is where it blows your mind. Third thing about the logos is this. Jot this down. The word became human. The word became human. That's what John says next in verse 14. Look at it. And the word, this eternal creative word, has become flesh and dwelt among us. Think about that. Jesus Christ takes on human flesh. The the religious term is called the incarnation. It's Latin. Carn, we we get the word like carnivore, right? If you eat meat, you're called a carnivore, right? Jesus took on the meat of humanity. Jesus wrapped himself in, you know, in humanity. I mean, think about it. The one who is larger than the universe becomes this little itty-bitty baby, When Mary and Joseph and the shepherds looked into the eyes of the Christ child, they were looking into the eyes of God. Jesus Christ stepped down the stairs of eternity into time and place. Jesus wraps his deity in humanity. The the one who created becomes the one who was cradled. Jesus Christ became fully human. We go, okay, okay, Jesus is God. Was, Was Jesus really fully human? I mean, maybe he just appeared to be a human. No, he was fully human, just like you and I. I mean, Jesus got tired. He was thirsty. He'd get hungry. He'd feel hurt and pain. He was killed. Understand? Jesus Christ became fully human. Now, if it's really true that God became fully human, then there are some major ramifications for you and I. What are they? I want you to jot them down. The first ramification is this, is that Jesus understands us. Jesus understands us. Maybe nobody else understands you. Jesus understands you. I love the way that Eugene Peterson in the message translation translates John 1.14. He says this, the word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. I love that. Jesus came. He, he walked down our streets. The king of glory becomes this helpless little baby. That's Jesus. He wasn't born in a palace as a king. He was born in a barn as a slave. He wasn't raised by royalty. He was raised by a carpenter. Jesus had calluses on his hands and blisters on his feet. Jesus understands what it's like. He can relate to you and me. I love how the writer of Hebrews puts this. In Hebrews 4, he says, For we do not have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. No. We've got one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Can I just tell you, Jesus understands you. As a pastor, I've been a pastor for over 30 years. And I've walked through people, their darkest moments of life and some hard times and You try to comfort and encourage people, but there are times when people said, Pastor, I know you just can't understand. And you know what? There are times that I don't understand. But the good news of the gospel is I can say to them, but Jesus does understand. Jesus does fully understand whatever you're going through. Is it poverty? He's been there. Ever been a refugee? He was on the run before he was two years old. You see, some of you this past year, it's been hard, right? He left you. She broke her promise. They abandoned you. They rejected you. You feel alone. You feel broken. You feel lost. Can I tell you, Jesus understands that. He was rejected by his family. He was despised and rejected of men, the Bible says. 
I mean, his closest friends abandoned him at his darkest moment. He, he was falsely accused. He, he was humiliated on the cross. Jesus Christ understands what it's like. He understands you. If you ever wonder, is God's heart big enough for you, remember how small he became for you. Love travels. He understands you. If God becomes human, he understands you. But there's a second major ramification. It's this. If that's true, then Jesus reveals God to us. Jesus and Jesus alone can reveal God to us. If you want to know what God's like, all you got to do is look at Jesus. Look at how this is described in verse 18. I love this verse. Verse 18 says, No one's ever seen God, but the one and only Son is himself God. There's the deity of Jesus again. And is near to the Father's heart. He has revealed God to us. We know what God is like by how? By just looking at Jesus Christ, reading the Gospels. I heard about this teacher who had given an assignment to these elementary kids to, to draw somebody, somebody that they knew. And so different kids were drawing, you know, pictures of mom or dad or their sibling or a friend or a dog or cat, right? And this one kid was drawing something and the teacher didn't know what it was. And she goes, what exactly is that? And he said, I'm drawing a picture of God. And she goes, well, nobody knows what God looks like. And he said, after I'm done, they will. (laughs) Well, if you want to know what God is like, all you got to do is look at Jesus Christ. Jesus perfectly reveals God to us. Again, look at verse 18. I love this verse. No one's ever seen God, but the one and only Son is himself God. And look at it, is near to the Father's heart. He's revealed God to us. You see that phrase, near to the Father's heart? It literally means near to the Father's bosom. Now, we don't use that term bosom anymore, do we, right? I mean, the fact is, in fact, let me just ask you an awkward question. How many people have access to your bosom? Probably not very many people, hopefully, right? And, um, I mean, maybe your spouse, you know, snuggles up close, or maybe your kids or your grandkids, but few people have that kind of access to your bosom. It's saying that Jesus is so intimate with the Father, He knows his heart so perfectly, he can reveal him to you and I. And so what I want to do is I want to show you what John does in John 1 is three things that Jesus reveals about God, okay? Jot it down. Number one is, first of all, is this. Jesus reveals God's glory. Jesus reveals God's glory. Look again what it says in verse 14. We observed his glory, the glory as the only, one and only son from the Father, full of grace and truth. When you saw Jesus, you saw his glory. Now, in the Old Testament, when God would dwell among his people, in that moment, his glory would often show. I mean, Jewish rabbinical writers would talk about the Shekinah glory of God. You see it in multiple places, like, you know, in the Garden of Eden. God would dwell with Adam and Eve, right? But what happened? We blew it. Or or then later on, God would dwell in the tabernacle with Moses. Remember, you had the pillar of fire by night and the pillar of cloud by day. That was the Shekinah glory of God dwelling among them. And what happened? They blew it. And then later on, God came again in the temple in Jerusalem with Solomon. But the people of God, they blew it again. And so what happens? God says, I'm going to come and tabernacle among them in such a way that they're not going to be able to mess it up. I'm going to come personally as my son. Jesus Christ, and that's what Jesus Christ did. 
Now, John says, we have seen his glory. You go, when did that happen? Well, think about it. If you read the Gospels, there's this one moment in the Gospels where Jesus takes Peter, Andrew, and John up to this mountain. It's called the Mount of Transfiguration. And the Bible says that while they were there, Jesus transfigured before them. It was a metamorphosis. That which was on the inside came out. They saw the very deity and glory. And they said that when we were looking at Jesus, it was like looking at the sun. We have seen his glory. That's what John says. But think about it. Everywhere Jesus went, you saw his glory. That's why there was miracles. That's why Jesus would come into a town and and the demons would scream and flee. Why? Because the glory of God was there. That's why Jesus could heal the lame and, you know, the, the deaf and the blind. Why? Because the glory of God was there. Jesus could come upon a funeral and it would become a party. Why? Because Jesus revealed the glory of God. But Jesus doesn't just reveal the glory of God. There's a second very important truth that Jesus reveals. Jot this down. Jesus reveals God's truth. Jesus reveals God's truth. Look again what it says, verse 14. We observed his glory. We've seen that. The glory as the one and only Son From the Father, full of grace and, see that word? Say it out loud. Truth. Truth. You see, whenever Jesus came into a town, what did he often do? He would teach. And the people hearing Jesus would go, we've never heard anybody teach like this. This is the greatest teaching we've ever heard. I mean, he teaches with authority. I mean, this is incredible teaching. Why? Because if you heard Jesus teach, you were actually hearing the word of God. In fact, Listen to how Jesus describes his words in John chapter 8. Jesus said this, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Do you want to be free? Abide in the truth of Jesus Christ. You see, today, we live in a culture, everybody wants to be free, right? But they don't want to abide in the truth. Do you know what the truth is, the truth of God's word? It's a plumb line. You've probably seen a plumb line before. It's, it's used in construction. And what you do is you, you, you set a plumb line, and it makes sure that the building is straight. The structure is, is you know, the way it's supposed to be. It's straight. And, and so what happens is God's word, Jesus' word, is the plumb line in our culture. But we now live in a culture today when we say, hey, this is what the truth of God says. And what will people say to you? That may be your truth. It ain't my truth. Well, can I just tell you something? Logically, there can only be one truth. Truth is truth, right? You you can only have one truth, right? And so what happens is because our culture rejects Jesus Christ and rejects the word of God, they're not following the plumb line anymore. And, And so you look at the structure of our culture and our lives and you go, man, we're, we're pretty messed up. I mean, think about it. We live in one of the richest countries in the world. We have greater opportunities than most people have ever had in human history. We have greater opportunities for education than most people have ever had in human history. And yet, our culture is falling apart. Why? Because they no longer believe the truth of the plumb line of God's word. I mean, here's some sad statistics. The younger generation, did you know that there are over... Two million teenagers addicted to drugs right now in America. Did you know that last year, there's 1.2 million teenagers that attempted suicide? What's going on with our culture? 
I just recently listened to a podcast on suicide, and I heard this startling statistic. This is the first generation in human history that's more likely to harm themselves than to be harmed by others. Well, what's going on? We, we've got all this technology. We have all this truth. We have all this freedom, but it's really not free, are they? It's bondage. They've rejected the plumb line of God's word, and the structure of our culture and lives is falling apart. Why? Because we don't accept it. We don't receive it. We don't believe it. Listen, if this is God's word, why don't you take enough time to study it? I mean, you know what? We, we can find time to, you know, binge watch the latest network show about the royals, Right? Why don't we have enough time to study what the king of kings has to say? Everybody's in Facebook. Why don't we get our face in the book? That's what Jesus is saying. My truth. He revealed truth, folks. Let's quit ignoring it and start obeying it. Jesus, when he came, he revealed God's glory. He revealed truth. But there's a third thing that Jesus revealed, and it's this. This is the one I love the most. Jesus revealed God's grace. Don't you love grace? Man, I need grace. You need grace. Jesus gave grace. Jesus touched the wounds of the leper that no one else would touch. That's grace. Jesus felt the hot tears of the prostitute weeping behind him. He, he says to the woman who's caught in adultery, I do not condemn you. Go and sin no more. Jesus on the cross with people mocking him prays, Father, forgive them. They know not what they're doing. Everywhere you see in the life of Jesus Christ, Christ, you have grace. Notice how this is written in John chapter 1, verse 16. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. See, just one grace ain't enough. We need grace upon grace, don't we? For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. It is found in Jesus Christ alone. Now, as Christians, we love grace, right? I mean, you know, it's, it's the most famous song, Christian song, is Amazing Grace. We, we call our churches, you know, Grace Baptist or Grace Tabernacle or Grace Fellowship or Grace Community, right? We, we love grace. Grace is found, over, the word is found 200 times in the New Testament, grace. You go, well, exactly what is grace? It's a gift of God. What does that mean? Well, I love the acrostic, G-R-A-C-E. Look at this. God's riches at Christ's expense. That's grace, folks. You get the riches of Almighty God. How? At the expense of Jesus Christ. That's how we get grace. We get grace found in Jesus Christ. How do we get forgiven and saved and guaranteed a place in heaven? It ain't by you trying harder. It's not yet by you being religious. It's all grace. Ephesians 2.8 says this, For by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It's a gift of God. Grace. You see, there's two philosophies of the world. There's one philosophy that says, okay, good people, they get grace, right? Right? I mean, even the, the Christmas song, he's making a list. Check it twice. He's going to find out who's naughty or nice. So be good for goodness sake, right? And see, there's a whole philosophy of our world that says, okay, if you want to see the gifts of God, it happens by you being good. That's one philosophy of the world. The Christian philosophy of the world says this. 
we're all sinners, we're all broken, we're all on the naughty list. I deserve death and hell because of my life, and so do you. But because of Jesus Christ, I get the grace of Almighty God, and so do you. It's God's riches at Christ's expense. You see, one of the main reasons why God had to take on a human body is because only a human could die for the sins of another human. Only a human could die in the place of humanity. And so whenever Jesus was teaching the people, they wanted to cancel him, reject him, reject his truth. And so what did they do? They had him arrested. And they were so furious with Jesus, they began to punch his face until his face was swollen. And then they handed him over to the Romans, and the Romans stripped him, tied him to a pole, and beat him beyond recognition. And then they take a crown of thorns, and they ram it into his sinless brow. And then they take a cross and strap it on his back and force him to carry it across the streets of Jerusalem while people mock him and spit at him and pluck his beard from its roots from his face. And then Jesus carries the cross up Skull Hill and then they take nine-inch nails and they drive it into Jesus' hands and in his feet and then they lift Jesus up between heaven and earth and there he dangles on the cross for six hours. And during that time, he carries in his body all of our sin, all of our shame, all of our brokenness, all the hell that we all deserve, Jesus in that microcosm of time carried it all. Whenever you see Jesus on the cross, that is God's riches at Christ's expense. Do you see that? The only way God could forgive humanity is to become one of us. And so he did. And so now today, the only way you and I can experience the grace of God, the glory of God, the truth of God, is to surrender to him. Because Jesus didn't stay dead, he rose again. Notice what the Bible says in verse 11, John chapter 1, verse 11. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him, but to all, that's you and I, who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Folks, that's the promise of Almighty God for you and for me. Can I just tell you exactly what John was trying to say in John chapter 1 to his culture? He was trying to say, Jesus is what you've been looking for. Well, my word to each one of you here today is Jesus is what you've been looking for. He will satisfy your deepest need, no matter who you are. If you're an astronomer, he's the bright morning star. If you're a baker, he's the bread of life. If you're a carpenter, he's the door. If you're a doctor, he's the great physician. If you're an electrician, he's the light of the world. If you're a farmer, he's the seed that falls and dies to bear fruit. If you're a geologist, he's the rock of ages. If you're a horticulturalist, he's the lily of the valley. If you're a jeweler, he is the pearl of great price. If you're a mortician, he's the resurrection and the life. If you're a lawyer, he's the advocate with the father. Even if you're royalty and a king, he's the king of kings and lord of lords. Jesus Christ is what you need and been looking for. And he will give you what you need. Do you want to know what the real miracle of Christmas is? It's Jesus. When you receive Jesus, you get all of God 
That's the Christmas miracle. Let's pray together. Gracious Lord, thank you so much for your word. I thank you for demonstrating incredible love. Your love traveled all the way here. Would you please forgive us? Forgive us for taking you for granted. Forgive us for thinking that we need to pursue something in this world in order to find life. God, we come to you and we declare to you that you are what we're looking for. Help us to worship you even today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, I hope this was helpful to you. If while listening, you realized you need to take the next step in your relationship with Jesus, we would love to help you with that. You can connect with us by clicking the link in the show notes to our website and then clicking the connect card button. In our weekend worship services, we are in a sermon series called The Seven Commands of Christ. Jesus gave dozens of commands, and as followers of Jesus, we should obey all of them. Over the next several weeks, we are focusing on seven that will change your life. We would love for you to join each week at one of our campuses, or you can attend online. You will find service times by clicking the link in the show notes to our website. You know, there's so many ways for you to get involved and be a part of what God is doing here at Silverdale, and we really want you to feel welcome and a part. So please, stay connected. Be sure to like and follow us on the different social media accounts. You'll find all the links in the show notes of this episode. And lastly, help us spread the word about this podcast. Take a moment to share this episode with your family and friends. Again, we appreciate you listening and hope you will join us again next time.